Ah, yes. Fun, fun. Good morning, church. How are you today? Good to see you. Uh, any other Viking fans in the house? <laughs> Rowdy group. <laughs> yes, <Whoa. indeed>. yeah. <laughs> uh, A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Should be a good game this afternoon, huh? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, some folk at the Rush Retreat, uh, which is going on right now. They'll be concluding in just a couple of hours. Uh, the final count, uh, Pastor Michael, Liz, uh, others from Southside are there, along with teens, was 271. So a uh, massive retreat, and uh, we're really trusting the Lord to do a good work among the young people there. And uh, just exciting, exciting stuff. And to hear the stories uh, coming out of uh, the young people, where they are today, the pressures that they're facing. Uh, really excited about the opportunity we have to minister there in that retreat. But we're back in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Uh, let's just, I'll throw out a couple of review questions here. Uh, what genre of literature is Ecclesiastes? You should know this from last week. There's five books called the Knowledge. No, a little closer. Wisdom. Five books of wisdom, right? What are the, those books that we talked about last week? Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, right? The five books of wisdom and Ecclesiastes is right in there, okay? So the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, written by whom, by the way? Solomon, good, a little better on that one. About what time was this book written? 935 BC. Good. We're getting some of these basics locked down. I love it. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is filled with questions. Lots and lots of questions, if you've ever read the book. Uh, how many do you think there are? Well, if we look in the 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon asks 32 questions. So if you're following along in your sermon notes and would like to kind of keep up. Uh, by the way, who needs sermon notes? If you do, just kind of slip your hand up there. I only need some up here. Okay, go ahead. Just kind of keep your hand up. We'll get you those. So Solomon asks 32 questions. And just like Jesus, Solomon does not ask questions for information. Solomon asks questions for transformation. We often uh, focus on the fact that we ask questions to get information. If you read the Gospels, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the questions are asked not for information, but for transformation. And so as we looked at last week, many of the questions, in fact, the vast majority of them asked by Jesus or Solomon and Ecclesiastes are rhetorical questions. What is a rhetorical question? Who can remember what that is? Mark, you're just nailing it right in the front row. Gold star, bud. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yes, that, those are questions asked, not expecting an answer, but for dramatic effect. They are to get us open to thinking and then ultimately opening our heart so that these questions are not asked to gain information from us, but to challenge us to begin thinking 
and opening our heart for transformation. Make sense to you? Okay. The first question is found right off the bat in chapter 1, verse 3. What do people get for all their hard work? What do people get for all their hard work? Just a couple of verses in. Solomon asks this question. Now, here at Southside, we're kind of big on making sure we have a common language. That way we're using words in the same way because uh, some people can use words and they mean something completely different. You ever found that to be true? Absolutely. So it's important that we define words. Some definitions of the word work. Continued exertion or activity. It's a job or a position. It's a place of employment or it's exhausting or unrewarding effort or toil. Now, as we look into the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is primarily using the third definition. When he says the word work, he's talking about that which is unrewarding effort or toil. It just doesn't make a lot of sense why we're doing this. It is work. So Solomon, the world's wisest person, used the words work, toil, or labor 42 times in 12 chapters. That is extremely significant. It's an important theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Again, uses the words work, toil, or labor 42 times in 12 chapters. Now, why would Solomon do that? That's not a rhetorical question. That's one that I would like an answer. Why do you think Solomon talks so much about work? To make a point, I think that's a good answer. What else? We spend a lot of our lives doing it. Very, very good. Uh, I like that as well. Now, even though our culture is far different than Solomon's back in, in 935 B.C., work still takes up a huge chunk of our lives. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Sociologists suggest we spend about one-third of our lives at work, or about 50%. Half of our daily waking hours are spent at work. Okay, so that is a very good chunk of time. Rather than satisfaction, for most folk, work is a source of frustration. Not satisfaction, more like frustration. Hmm. Around the world and across the globe, people, most people, the majority of people don't like their work. In fact, they can't stand it. A recent survey revealed that 25% of employees in this country, the United States, hate their job so much they compare their work with being in jail. It's like being in prison, right? 56% said, my work, I can take it or leave it. I can care less. It's just something I do. Put the hours in, get a paycheck. Only 19% say they love their jobs. A vast minority of people say they actually like or love their job. They look forward to getting up in the morning, going to work. This might cause some of us to ask this question, why does my work seem so much like work? Now, I don't know where you are in that spectrum. I best not ask because that could create some interesting dynamic here in the room. Uh, But I would assume that you folk are pretty much like the rest of the world. And in this room, the vast majority of people really don't like your job. Huh. Now, Solomon wrote that hard work can be a good thing. Do you believe that hard work can be a good thing? Yes. Those of us that are raised on Puritan work ethic, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man what? Yeah, okay, you bought into that one. That's good. Okay, so... Hard work can be a good thing. Here's what Solomon said. People who work hard sleep well. 
He also wrote, go to work in the morning and stick to it until evening without watching the clock. (laughs) Did they have clocks back then? Anyway, Solomon said work can be a good thing. But work didn't provide the answers to the questions that we've been talking about these last week. These grand questions of why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I going? All those big kind of questions. He didn't find satisfaction or answers in his work. Not like he was open for. So he wrote in 220, I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. Huh. He tried it, didn't work. My search for satisfaction did not end in my job because it just didn't fulfill. In fact, it left King Solomon quite frustrated. Some more verses for you, again in chapter 2. What do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. Hmm. And onward, people leave this world no better off than they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Welcome to employees, right? So I, I think that maybe significance can be found in what I do, but for many, many, many people who spend the bulk of their lives at their job, it leaves them just like this, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. A real sense of unfulfillment if we're looking for fulfillment from our work. Huh. I wonder how many of us feel like the hamster on the endless exercise wheel. I also wonder how many of us in this room are using our busyness at work and at life as a cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty, out-of-control life. And so we work really hard just to stay ahead of the question. What's the purpose to all this? Solomon tried it, didn't work out so well for him either. So he asks again the same kind of question in Ecclesiastes 3.9. What do people really get for all their hard work? What do people really get for all their hard work? Now, you know what that's gotten us. What does all our hard work get us? I think it gets us tired and crabby. That's what I think. I read this. I thought it was good. Yes, I'm tired. For several years, I've been blaming it on middle age, iron-poor blood, lack of vitamins, air pollution, greenhouse gases, water pollution, obesity, dying, dieting, underarm odor, yellow wax buildup, and a dozen other troubles that make you wonder if life is really worth living. But now I find out it's not that. I'm tired because I'm overworked. Ever feel like that? Like we're overworked? I wonder. Anyway, Solomon searched and struggled, but what Solomon really needed was an attitude adjustment. And in his book, we see a couple of different attitudes that play out here, and those are in your sermon notes, because I believe much of life is focused on the attitude that we have. And if we have the attitude of that which was in Christ Jesus, that transforms and changes everything about our lives, because the focus is not on us, it's on God and others. And so, as we look at the direct relationship between our attitude and the way our lives go, between attitude and outcome, uh, some verses here make a lot of sense. We'll talk about my kingdom, my kingdom. Solomon wrote, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. 
right? Sound pretty good? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's not bad, is it? But what's the emphasis in that verse? Do it with all what? But Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit, says the Lord. If we're working with all of our might, all of our creativity and ingenuity and education and resourcefulness and energy, it's not going to end up going very far. If we work with all of our might, ah, so across the aisle there, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. But then he writes, when I surveyed all that my hands had done with all my might, and what I told you, chief, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained. So he tried it, he worked with all of his might, and he found that everything they did when he worked with all of his might, everything that his hands had done, it was meaningless in the end. So he writes, I found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors, all my labors. Love the emphasis on the personal pronouns. When I did it and it was all my labors, then I got a certain kind of outcome, which was not so good. Here's what he wrote. I came to hate all my hard work. What? Isn't that a contradiction? Look what he said. I found great pleasure in hard work. Then he turns right around and says, Same chapter, I came to hate all my hard work. How does that work? Hmm. Hmm. Because he was doing it to build his kingdom. And when we are working with that kind of motivation, that's where it's going to take us in the end. However, if we contrast that with the attitude which is in Christ Jesus that I'm not here for myself, that I'm here to not to be served, but to serve and to give my life, and it's all about God's kingdom and not building my kingdom, then the outcome is going to be incredibly different. So Solomon said, I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. The ability to find satisfaction in work does not come by being recognized or promoting or crawling up the ladder. It is, in fact, from the hand of God. Finding satisfaction in work comes from God. And once Solomon realized this, his attitude began to change, then the outcome would change. So he wrote, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people, those kind of people, that have received that gift, so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. You see the radical change in outcome there? Wow, 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 wow. In fact, the ability to enjoy your work is a gift from God. It will not come by our effort to attain it. In fact, we've got to surrender it, and then we'll find satisfaction. Completely backwards, completely backwards. Now, for most of us, oh, anyway, let let me just ask, any questions about that chart? I just thought that was kind of interesting as as I looked at Solomon's attitude. Any questions, comments about that? Everybody understand it? Bob. It will occur to us that there are difficulties and inconsistencies around us in our workplace. I think what you're hitting on is our satisfaction with our 
current experience is going to come from God and based on that relationship a lot more than what's going on around us. But it's not that everything will be perfect in our estimation. There's a maturity that has to develop over time with our attitude towards work. Well said. Good, I hope you heard, Bob. Uh, There's a maturity that happens over time as our attitude begins to become transformed. Because as we're going to see in a moment, uh, work has got its own unique problems, doesn't it? Every job here has its unique challenges and opportunities, correct? I think that's very insightful. You see, for most of history, work has been a survival issue. Up until recent years... Work has been a survival issue. We work because we had to in order to live. Quite literally, no work, no eat. No eat, you die. It was pretty simple, right? If the crops failed, the only options were you got to borrow from a neighbor, you got to move someplace where there is food, or sit there and starve. Now, the day has changed. Today, few of us, if any of us, work for food. Our generous government will provide copious amounts of food even if a person doesn't work. Because we live in a land of plenty. And let's face it, we work for other reasons. What are the reasons? All through human history, we work for survival. Now the game has changed significantly. People work hard to own their own home, to have money in the bank, to have lots of food in the pantry, to have a car parked outside. We have to park the car outside because the garage is so full of stuff, we can't get the car in the garage. (laughs) So we're not just surviving here, not at all. In our day of plenty, I believe that work is far more than survival, far more than security providing for our family, but it's where identity comes from now. It's our source of significance in life. And for many, our whole identity is tied permanently to our job. That is who we have become. That's the source of our identity. And rather, identity being in Christ, we draw it from what we do. And we're looking for accolades. We're looking for promotions. We're looking for upward mobility. We're looking for more from our work because that's where our identity comes from. Boy, that's a losing equation every single time. Today, the greeting, how are you, has been replaced by something like, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Because that's who you are. What you do is who you are. Ah. Someone said to love what you do and feel that it matters. Could anything be more fun? I wonder, anybody having fun yet? <laughs> we having fun yet? Why are we having so much fun at work? Huh. Huh. Now, let me ask you a question. Which word is mentioned first in the Bible? Work or sin? Work or sin? Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Work or sin? Which one comes first? Okay. The first mention of work in the Bible is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Here's what the Bible says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he has done. This tells me a couple of things. Number one, rooted in the very nature and character of God is the fact that he works. In fact, Jesus would say, I'm at work, my father is too to this very day. We have a God who works. Okay? Now, what was the crowning jewel of his creation? Yes, 
people, right? So we read on in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So this God who works as a part of his character and nature, we are created then in the image of God. We too were made to work because God works, we work, and you know the rest of the story. The first two labors violated the only no-no in the employee handbook, right? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, let's go eat from it. Yeah, and we've been in trouble ever since. So, which was mentioned first in the Bible? Work or sin? Work. Work. And you know what? I have this sneaking suspicion of looking at this over the years that God in Eden, perfection, had us working. If you think heaven's going to be floating on a cloud playing a harp, we are really misinformed. I believe we're going back to the way that God intended. We will work in heaven. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. That's got to be at least purgatory. It can't be heaven, right? <laughs> we're going to work in heaven. Can you imagine working with no boundaries of getting tired? unimaginable to even think like that. That's not the purpose of this message. Back to reality. Okay. Their sin, the first two employees, that affected everyone and everything since, including our work. Work, which was once a source of fulfillment from God before sin entered the picture, would now be a process of pain and toil. So the Bible calls them thorns and thistles in Genesis chapter 3, after sin had entered the picture. Now those were more than weeds for farmers to faith. Every occupation would have its share of frustrations and aggravations and irritations that would make work pretty much like work. Like the third definition, right? Huh. I found this true of my daughters as well. Uh, before we left Bangkok to move to Sheboygan, uh, the girls had come before us and, and were preparing for school in the University of Wisconsin. And uh, Cindy and I were still living in Bangkok at that time. And this is an email that uh, Leah had uh, sent to me. Uh, she starts out, Daddy. And when she starts out, Daddy, uh, in all caps, I know I need to pay attention, Uh, I so miss talking to you. I keep trying to reach you when you're already at work, I think. I can't wait to talk to you again. Just pray about my job situation because I can't stay here for too much longer. The consumerism, negative outlook on life, and all the cattiness is getting to me. I feel so empty doing what I do at Target. I feel that I could be using my gifts, giving to people who need it. Hmm. So uh, my daughter's had worked in Thailand. They got to America and were exposed to retail uh, and uh, didn't go over quite so well and uh, learned very quickly that work would be like work, filled with frustrations and irritations and aggravations, and that's all a part of it. Huh. Leah's still the same way today. She wants to use her gifts, giving to people who need it, not just showing up to draw a paycheck. And I got a feeling you're the same way. That you want your work to count. That all this time that you're investing in this is far more than drawing a paycheck and making a living until you can retire and then die. I got a feeling you want something more than that, don't you? Don't you really? I think we all do. 
I think we all do. And the reason that God cares, and I believe that he cares very, very deeply about uh, us in work and our relationship there, is that our actions at work uh, reflect our love for him. Now, I think back to the jobs that I've had starting at age 14. By the way, Derek, I also caught chickens. Uh, That was a job that I had, too. It wasn't, uh, yeah, that was very good. Hmm. I started by pulling thistles in fields. That was fun at the age of 14, my first paying job. And uh, then I shaped Christmas trees. Uh, that was a buck sixty an hour. Oh, those were the days, weren't they, Bill? Oh, sorry. Uh, there was factory work, selling refreshments at a zoo, selling insurance, selling shoes, and pastoring. It's been quite a journey. I've had lots of bosses over the year, and today... Today, I've got hundreds of you. Hey, oh boy. This is, I'm having fun now. Uh, but as a new Christian, when I came out of the business world and I met Jesus, I had to learn how does faith and work uh, connect? How do they integrate? Uh, are, are they really siloed or are they supposed to? Uh, how does this all work out? Does my work matter to God or do, am I supposed to just go to church and Bible studies and, and prayer meeting and, and all the other stuff that was a part of my life at that time? Well, I quickly find out that I had to avoid the extremes and all of us are prone toward heading toward extremes. And when it comes to this idea of what does God want for my work, where do I find satisfaction? The questions that Solomon asked, what do people really get out of all their hard labor? Huh? I had to avoid the extremes. So we've got extremes. When it comes to work, don't we? First one is the workaholic. Work is out of control when we allow it to become our primary source of fulfillment. When my identity is so tied up and, and how I'm feeling is so tied up in my job and what I do, we've got problems. If work is squeezing out other important essentials of life, to me that are far higher priority, our walk with God, our family, our friends, our church, our leisure time, uh, those things that God intended to give us as gifts... If those are all being crowded out by work, then work has become our God. Work has become an idol. And for many, their job is an idol. It's a centerpiece of their life. It's where their significance is drawn from. And we have to be very, very careful of not elevating our work to a place of an idol in our hearts. Because it's very easy, very easy to do. Now, where I work, there is never, ever a night we leave with all of our work done. Ever. And there never will be. The demands of duty scream loudly to stay later in the night. Put a dent in my to-do list. Get another one checked off. My family and my body scream, go home. Go home. The workaholic, like the alcoholic, doesn't recognize the problem. Usually denies it's even there thinking, I can cut back anytime I want. Well, then do it. Do it. If you can cut back anytime you want, then do it. All right? I got a zipper in my chest from heart surgery. I understand the implications of moving in that direction. And somehow, even in the Christian community, we think it's really spiritual to drive yourself into the ground working. Huh. Huh. On the other extreme is the lazy bum. Someone said, I like work. I could sit around and watch someone do it all day. <laughs> right? So U.S. News and World Report says employees on the average spend 34% of their time not working. 34% of your time not working? What are you doing? Now, that's kind of an older step because now everybody's got their phone right beside them. 
All right, updating Facebook when I'm supposed to be working. Ha, 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 I can do both. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Hmm. So whether our place of work is a store, a school, an office out in the field, at home, or in a hospital, if we are retired or we're just plain tired here, we're just plain tired, our work matters to God. Solomon sought answers to significance through his work. He said, I came to the point I just hated it. Just hated it. I despaired. It just took me nowhere. So we understand, though, from the Bible that God does care about our work. It does matter to him. I want to discover where God is working and join him in what he's doing. How do we do that? Because if God's a working God and he's at work, I want to join him in his work because then it's his energy in inexhaustible resources and not what I want. It's what he wants. That's a satisfying way to live above the hustle and hassle of meaningless work. I want my life's work to matter for God. Don't you? I know you do. I know that you do. Hmm. Many of us so compartmentalize and sidled our lives that we don't see how faith in Jesus can relate to this that we spend the bulk of our lives doing, our job, our work, our employment, our sense of worth and accomplishment that are so closely bound up that our work and our identity somehow all mixed together. And you know that when guys get together, one of the first questions is, hey, where do you work? Where do you work? Where do you work? And immediately you, you can put them in, okay, here's, got to put the puzzle together. Hey, where do you work? What do you do? Hmm. Now, certainly our work matters to God. He cares about how we make the sale, how we treat customers and coworkers, respond and relate to our boss, handle company property. He cares about how we deal with everyday irritations and frustrations and aggravations and how we handle major catastrophes at work because we'll all have them. That is a part of the plan, right? He cares about how we work and how we represent him on the job. He does care a lot about that because we'll find satisfaction and enjoyment in our place of work only when we surrender to the Lord. So what I'm saying is, if we're going to find that which is meaningful and purposeful in our work, we must know the Lord of the workplace. And I believe that God has put you in a specific place for a specific season for a specific reason. And if you are a Jesus follower and God has put you in that place, it's absolutely critical that we own the reason that God put you in that place. Is it to draw a paycheck? Sure, he wants to, you to provide for your family. That's a part of it. But it goes way beyond that, doesn't it? It goes way beyond that because all around you are people who need Jesus. And you've been put, I have been put where I am so that we can be influencers that others might know the Lord of the workplace through our place of work. And whether you're there for a week or you've been there for 40 years doesn't make any difference. All around are opportunities. Opportunities. God desires we enjoy our work. He doesn't want this to be however many years of drudgery and then, okay, that's it. That's not his plan at all. By understanding God's plan for our work, we see our work then as far more important than just drawing the check and putting the hours in. 
It's our place of ministry. It's where God has put us for his honor and glory. It's so that we might be his light in that place. And man, if we are backbiting and moaning and complaining and carrying around a negative attitude, what do you think that does for the cause of Jesus in our places of work? My goodness, what an opportunity to stand apart, to stand out, to stand up for that which is right. That's Jesus. Our attitude seen by the way that we do our jobs because we know whom we're doing it for, right? Huh, huh. I trust the Lord will speak to us just as he spoke through Solomon If we're looking for satisfaction and meaning and purpose in our places of employment, probably not going to happen. As Bob said, all of those minor irritations are going to overwhelm, suck the joy right out of it. And then what are we left with? Got to go to work. Got to go to work tomorrow. Go to work. Or we can have a much different attitude and to say, Lord, Lord of the workplace, what do you have in this for me? What's there today? Who can I touch? Who can I love on? Who can I say a kind word to? Who can I move closer to the kingdom by the way that I'm working and the words that I say and the attitude that I carry? God, use me in this place. You put me here. Use me for your honor and glory. Okay? Good. I guess I'm done. Thoughts, questions? Bob, you used your quota, sorry. <laughs> Good. Thoughts, questions? You agree, you disagree? Let's take a moment and uh, let the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to me about my attitude about work, people I work with, people that I will encounter. We sang it. I want to live it. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. What better place to start than that which we've invested so heavily into our places of work? Let's pray together, church. Father, we are so very, very grateful that you have put us in this land of plenty and in the season where jobs are plentiful and options numerous. How grateful we are to you, God, and we give you thanks for the abundance. And yet in that same breath, we ask for your forgiveness for grumbling and complaining and whining and missing the point of why we're doing what we're doing. Forgive me, Father, for the times that I have tried to find satisfaction and meaning in life when that only comes from you and not through what I do. And I'm grateful that I serve with 
my brothers and sisters, and I, I know them well enough, many of them, to know they work very, very hard. And they love you dearly. And they want, they cry out to you that their labors would not be in vain, but what they do will bring honor and glory to you as well as providing for their family. Thank you. And Lord Jesus, as you hung on the cross for our forgiveness and freedom, you cried, it is finished. Your work was complete. And I thank you, Lord, that by that sacrifice there on the cross, you've not only saved us from our sin and given us the hope of heaven, but you provided meaning and purpose right here, right now, in our places of work. And so, Lord of the workplace, we bring to you our places of work and represented among these people are all kinds of different jobs and places and people represented. And so much of our time in our life is invested into these places that you've placed us. Remind us that this is where our mission field truly is. And would you change our attitude and adjust and align our attitude toward you, Lord, and with you when it comes to where we're going to be working tomorrow. And may we receive now your gift, the gift that you've promised to really enjoy our work. That comes as a gift from you. So we open our hearts and say, Lord, would you give us the gift to enjoy our work as we find you there, whether it's changing a tire or changing a diaper, whether it's standing on a line or sitting at a desk, whatever our hand finds to do, might we do with all of our heart for your glory. God, I pray that you will send us out now as light into the darkness. That you will send us as hope, a message of hope and love to those who are struggling. Father, we need you. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us so that our attitude may be the same is Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word and its truth and its power. Changes to me more like the master we ask in Jesus' name. Together all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.